Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Hey, let's give it up for Zach McCaw. What a beast. He's right over there. Man, I, we might just do this series forever, just so we could keep watching those. Uh, man, what a, what a great, well-loved and loving man you are, Zach. I love you too, man. So uh, we're in a series, like Chris just said, called Heroes You Haven't Heard Of. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here. And today we're in week eight of nine. So one more to go after this. And today, to, to start today's message, I want to play a game with you. I want to talk to you about, uh, I'm going to say the main character's name, and you tell me the sidekick, the best friend, the one that goes with the main character. I'll start with some easy ones. Perhaps there might be a hard one, but I'm, I'm confident in the group in the room. Let's see how we do. Batman and? Easy. Mario and? Okay. Uh, Cowboy Woody and? Yes, yes. I wondered if you'd go Little Bo Peep. But you went Buzz Lightyear, okay. Uh, SpongeBob and? Patrick. Frodo Baggins and? Samwise Gamgee. Sherlock Holmes and? Han Solo and? Chewbacca. Uh, Let's go Bible. David and? Goliath? (laughs) Not the sidekick. Nine-foot enemy. Jonathan, yes. Uh, Today, I want to talk about Jonathan, the hero that maybe you've heard of, apparently some of you have, but I'm not sure you know too much about him. Jonathan was David's best friend, and I think it's fair to say that a few different times, David would have been killed if it weren't for Jonathan. I think, based on a lot of what David writes, that David may have taken his own life a few times, if it weren't for Jonathan. But if David had been killed, and they were looking for the killer, and they asked the question, who has the most motivation to kill David and wipe this man from the face of the earth? It would have been Jonathan. Jonathan would have been the most interested in getting rid of David, but instead he becomes his best friend. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you an overview of the life of Jonathan. It's, it's the last eight to ten verses of, uh, excuse me, chapters of 1 Samuel. I want to fly over and just tell you about their friendship. And then I'm going to go back and I want to zoom in on one specific story where Jonathan proves his incredible loyalty and his faithfulness and his friendship to David. And I think you're going to like it. So who was the first king of the nation of Israel. His name is Saul. Saul's the first king of Israel. If you read about Saul, he's the, the tall, strong, handsome Chris Hemsworth of the Old Testament. I mean, this is, this is what they tell me at least. I mean, Saul is the man and he's the king. Who is Saul's firstborn son? It's Jonathan. In fact, 1 Samuel 14 says that Saul's sons included Jonathan, the first one listed, the oldest, Ishbosheth and Malkishua. He also had two daughters, Merab and the older, who was older, and Michael. 
And so, and so Jonathan is the firstborn son of Saul, Saul, meaning he's next in line. The throne is in his name. He gets to inherit it when his dad dies. Jonathan is poised to be a powerful man for the rest of his life. In 1 Samuel 14, we find out that in, in Jonathan's youth, that he is full of faith in God, that he trusts God the most, and we find out that he is a freaking beast. He is, he is an absolute Chuck Norris-level beast. The Israelites in the Old Testament, their, their uh, constant enemy is the Philistines. The Philistines come in and they steal stuff from them. They kill them. They oppress them. And they're constantly, they're the nagging, nagging neighbor of the Israelites. And, and Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and says, let's go pick a fight. Let's go pick a fight with this enemy that is, is trying to destroy God's people. And so they go, but rather than just going full force and not thinking about it, he puts it up, he talks to the armor bearer about prayer and, and he talks about whether or not God is going to deliver the Philistines into their hands. He's not just going to go get what isn't his. And, and they kind of go halfway, but the Philistines then attack Jonathan and his armor bearer. And it says in 1 Samuel 14 that Jonathan kills 20 Philistines, him and his armor bearer. They kill 20 Pharisees in the area of about a half of an acre. And so think about that, really. It's in the Bible. It actually happened. Jonathan his reputation after this just skyrockets. He's not this little timid boy who people can't imagine being the king. This guy is the heir to the throne, and people are looking at his dad going, okay, it's not going so good, but at least we have Jonathan waiting in the wings. So Jonathan's reputation as the next king begins to grow. He is the hope for the future for the nation of Israel. He's going to be the next king, but in 1 Samuel 15... The next chapter, Saul, his dad, is rejected as the king. And so essentially, Jonathan's birthright, this path to the throne, is taken from him, not because of his faithlessness, but because of his dad's foolishness, because of his dad's pride. This whole thing is snagged from him. And rather than Jonathan getting to be the next king, David, the last, the youngest son of Jesse, is anointed to be the next king king of Israel, and it's taken from Jonathan. David goes and kills Goliath. You remember that story. David begins to serve in the king's courts. David becomes this warrior in the army too. And then there's this song that starts being played on the radio, and the lyrics go like this, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands Meaning Saul's fine, but man, David is going to be the next king now. And we are excited about that. And Saul is filled with jealousy and rage and essentially begins to hunt David for the rest of his life. But Jonathan, who was supposed to be the next king, isn't filled with jealousy and rage. He's filled with something else altogether. Let me read this part to you. You can go to that next slide. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. And there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. He didn't hate David. He wasn't jealous of David. He wasn't angry with David. He loved David. And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. 
And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. And Jonathan, look at this, Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. So there's two men and both of them are on track to be the next king of Israel. And some people think Jonathan will be. And some people think David will be. And Jonathan takes off his armor and his belt and his robe and he gives it to David. And he is essentially saying, it's you. You're God's man. And Jonathan voluntarily gives up his place on the throne to David. Jonathan had the most to lose because of David's success. And they form a friendship. They form this bond that will prove over the next 20 or 30 years to be much stronger than jealousy and much stronger than power and much stronger than ambition. You see, Jonathan loved God more than the throne of Israel. He knew that this was God's plan. And therefore, because of his faith in God, Jonathan was able to love David more than the throne of Israel. But it takes another 20 years. This doesn't happen like that. 20 years after the armor, robe, tunic handoff, Saul is hunting David for the next 20 years before David becomes the king. And Jonathan who would have perhaps been the king if Saul had succeeded in his mission, instead of helping his dad kill David, he protects David a number of different times. Let me just tell you about two of them real quick. In 1 Samuel 19, Saul is angry. He's looking for David. He wants to kill David. And Jonathan goes behind his dad's back and says, David, you got to get out of here. You got to go hide. You got to get out of town because my dad is hunting you. And Jonathan meets with his dad in a field. And he reminds his dad that David is the one that went to fight Goliath when nobody else would. He reminds his dad that David was the one who was innocent and that God's favor had been on Israel since David had been around. And Saul's anger subsides for chapter 19 and it comes back in chapter 20. In chapter 20, the new moon festival. It's a series of dinners in the palace with Saul and all of his closest friends and companions. They're all supposed to eat there. But David, who's in Jerusalem at the time, he's wary. He's always wary because Saul's always after him. David chooses to skip the first dinner. He doesn't come, so David's seat sits empty. Night number two, David chooses to forego dinner again because he's just not sure what kind of mood Saul's in. And so Saul, on the second night of the festival, says, where is David? And Jonathan, who's sitting there, lies to him. He says, David went back to Bethlehem. His family needed him to do something. And so he's not here for this one. And Saul gets angry. And he says, go hunt him down and go kill him. And Jonathan stands up and goes, why are you trying to kill him? He, what, what, what wrong has he done? And Saul throws a spear at Jonathan and misses. It shows you the madman that Saul is, and it shows you the, French, the friend that Jonathan is. And, and Jonathan and David had cooked up a deal. The, on, the, on the third day, so after dinner number two, on that third morning, Jonathan went out 
and he had made this deal with David. He had said, David, if you go and, and, and hide behind this rock that's out in the field, I'm going to shoot three arrows. And if the arrows land next to the rock, even with the rock, you will know that it is safe for you to come back in and dine with us for night number three. But if I shoot these three arrows beyond the rock and you see the boy that is with me, my arrow fetcher, if you see him go beyond the rock to get the arrows, you will know that it is not safe and you should flee because my dad is after you. And he shoots three arrows and he shoots them beyond the rock and David escapes. Well, for the next couple days, weeks, months, David is on the run and Saul is after him. And they go from city to city to city chasing David Finally, David ends up in the desert hiding in a cave. And this is where I want to tell you this one story about Jonathan and his friendship to David that I find to be fascinating. Here's the story in 1 Samuel chapter 23. It says this, David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. That's where he's hiding. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horesh, Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father, Saul, will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And then Jonathan went home. But David remained at Horesh. So the Bible doesn't say this next part, but I'm just trying to imagine what it was like. I'm trying to imagine the conversations where David goes out and meets Jonathan outside of the cave. David wasn't alone. David had kind of a group of guys that were with him living in the caves with David, protecting David as best they possibly could against these people that were hunting them. But I imagine that, that David came back in. Jonathan left and went home, but David came back to the cave. And I imagine that, that somebody who's responsible in that cave, somebody who has some wisdom in that cave, walked to David as he's kind of coming in. He goes, what did you tell him? What did you tell him, David? And are you sure that he's safe to share where we're hiding and David said, I'm never safer than when I'm with Jonathan. And I imagine the friend says, but I, I, you're, you trust people so much, David. It's one of your good qualities. You're so loyal, but are you sure that you're not being naive, David? Because all these guys, they don't know Jonathan. They don't, they don't know how loyal he is. They don't know how selfless he is. So David just puts his head down. He's got nothing to say. And, and the friends keep going. They go, these are treacherous days. Like our lives hang in the balance. Why would Jonathan come out here and risk his life and ours to meet with you? Why would he do that? And David just looks up and he goes, to help me find strength in God. That's why he came out here. He came out here to help me find strength in God because because Jonathan knows me, and Jonathan knows how discouraged I can get. 
And Jonathan knows how depressed I can get. He knows how dark the days are when I'm on the run. And Jonathan came out here to help me find strength in God. He reminded me that God isn't far away and that God's promises are always going to be fulfilled. That's why Jonathan came out here. That's why it was good for me to talk to him. And his friends just shake their heads and go, all right, whatever you say, David. Whatever you say, David. And David goes on and says, Jonathan loves God the most. He loves God more than the throne. He loves God more than he loves power. He loves God more than he loves me. In fact, he loves me because he loves God. And for that reason, my life is never safer than when it's with Jonathan. And, and when I read, I, I read that and I just go, man, what a friend that David had in Jonathan, a faith-filled, loyal, I will never betray you, I will protect you at all costs, friend. And I just thought, man, do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend like that? And here is a way better question. Are you a friend like that? Am I a friend like that to someone? As I looked at this, this short story, these five verses, I, I made four observations about this friendship of Jonathan that I think we could take some notes from, and it would help us to be better friends to one another. The first thing is that Jonathan's mentality is not, I need a friend. It is, David needs a friend. He's just thinking about David. Jonathan doesn't think, man, I need some friends. He goes, David does. David's on the run. David is discouraged. David lost his job. David is lonely. David is scared. David needs a friend. And Jonathan doesn't think about himself and his loneliness or anything going on in his life. He goes, I'm going to risk my life because David, my friend, needs me. Paul wrote something in Philippians about friendship, about relationships, all relationships. He says, in your relationships, in your friendships, have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. And he goes on to describe what that attitude is like. He says, don't look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. That is who Jonathan is modeling here. He's modeling the attitude of Christ before Christ was even on the earth, of putting the interests of others before himself. And so Jonathan, to give you a real practical example, Jonathan is not the kind of person who looks on Instagram and goes, man, looks like they're having a friend. Wish I had friends like that. He's the kind of person that walks into church or walks into work or walks into the gym and looks around and goes, man, who needs me to be a friend for them today? Jonathan's more interested in being a friend than he is in being befriended. And Christian author Zig Ziglar legend puts it this way. He wrote about friendship right before he died. He said, if you go looking for a friend, you will find that they're very scarce. If you go out to be a friend, you'll find them everywhere. Jonathan was all about being a friend, not saying, I need a friend. 
Number two, Jonathan was consciously intentional. Look at verse 16. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh. He didn't just do it on the fly. You don't just wake up and end at Horesh. This is something that clearly Jonathan consciously, intentionally planned to do. And what a difference. Think about this. What a difference it would make if we collectively as a group woke up and planned to be great friends to each other. If we didn't just let it happen, if we didn't just do it when it came to us, but if we woke up and consciously, intentionally planned, if we intentionally went to Horesh and planned to be a great friend. One of the marks of Christian maturity is that we are intentional to try to create occasions that we could encourage and serve our friends. One of the marks of Christian maturity is that we're not too busy to be great friends. That life just doesn't take us so fast, we just become so self-focused that we can't be great friends. A, a mark of a mature Christian is that they, they live slowly enough and they plan how to be great friends. And sometimes it does come out of nowhere. Sometimes we're presented with opportunities and it's like we just take it and we can be great friends. But the greatest friends, friends among us are going to be the ones that consciously, intentionally schedule time and occasions to go and be great friends. This is what Jonathan did. Here's the third one. Jonathan helped David find strength in God. Jonathan helped David find strength in God. Jonathan was, is what I call a spiritual friend. And spiritual friends are so rare. They're so rare. This is the best way I know how to put it. David and Jonathan didn't just talk about the Buckeyes. And they didn't just talk about The Bachelor. David and Jonathan talked about God. And they talked about faith. And they talked about prayer. And they talked about the promises of God and the love of God. And they weren't afraid to go there with one another. They shared their deepest questions, their deepest worries, their deepest doubts. They shared it all. Jonathan went to help David find strength in God. Jonathan didn't point David to self-confidence or confidence in their friendship. He pointed David to God. The difference between a friendship and a spiritual friendship is that in spiritual friendships, the two friends point one another to Jesus, not one another, for their source of strength and help. They know who can really do it. I have been blessed over the course of my life to just have a couple of these people that I would call spiritual friends. Friends that I can go to and say, how's your walk with Jesus? What's God teaching you lately? I mean, just be honest. When's the last time those questions were brought up in a conversation between you and a close friend? by you or by them. I've got one, his name is Michael, and he's a pastor in Houston, Texas, and God just gave him to me as a gift. He's my spiritual friend. I can't, 
count the number of times that we've been on the phone with one another and we've just talked about how spiritual friendship is a gift from God and God gave us one another to be spiritual friends to one another. And Michael, every, every two weeks, we've got an appointment on the calendar. It's set. It's called Don't Skip Leg Day. And we, we call it that because it's, it's an appointment that we might be too busy for, that we might forget, that we might not want to have because we talk about sin and we talk about stuff, ways that we're not loving our wives very well or we're not parenting our kids very well. And we're honest and we ask these questions and we talk about our ministries. We talk about our personal time with the Lord and, and we go there. And it is a great gift to me. And, and Michael, we went, on vacation, we went on vacation with them a couple months ago. And, and leading up to it, I said, Mike, Mike, we got to do something that's going to be really memorable. We got to do something that our kids are never going to forget. Those were my words. And in my mind, I'm thinking amusement park, giant water slide. We got to come up with like, you know, ice cream sundae, like in a trash can. Like we got to come up with something that our kids are never going to forget. And Big Mike goes, what if we help our kids memorize Isaiah 6-3? I'm like, geez, total pastor move, you know? But if you were to go back and, and ask Cooper and Judah, my two kids, and you were to look at them and say, you can try in the hallway, you say, holy, 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 my kids would say, is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We did it every morning. Each one of the parents did like a five-minute devo on one little part of that verse. And our kids, we would just, every time we saw something that had holes in it the whole week, they'd look at my Crocs and they would say, holy, holy, holy. <laughs> and they never forget it. And it's better than an amusement park. He's a spiritual friend. He wasn't afraid to bring God into it. Here's the last one. Jonathan roots for David above himself. He says, you will be the king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Hear me on this one. This is, this is uh, I want you to take away this point from this verse. The calling on David's life, David's life, was very hard. It was to wield the power of the kingship of Israel. But the calling on Jonathan's life may have been even harder. It was to yield, to willingly yield the power of Israel's kingship. You see, Jonathan did not look at David as someone that took something from him, but rather he saw it as God's plan. And he encouraged David and prayed for David and befriended David and advocated for David. And when David was in his darkest moment hiding in a cave, he went to David and helped strengthen him in God. And one of the hardest things in life, at least in my experience, I think you'll agree, is that when someone else gets something that you thought you were going to get or, or, or just kind of passes over you, you know? We all experienced that probably to some extent where they got the promotion that you thought you were going to get. They got the job that you thought you were going to get. They got married when you thought you were going to be married. They're dating the person that you wanted to date. 
they're having kids at the time that you wanted to have kids. They got the house even though you put more work in than they did to get the house. And it's easy, if I'm just being honest, as I've experienced things like that, it's easy to just kind of go, man, what about me? And the mark of Christian maturity is that we rejoice in the joy of others, that we actually rejoice more when other people achieve their goals more than when we achieve ours. And you see Jonathan, man, finding so much joy in the fact that David is anointed to be the next king. I will be second to you. Wow. What would the church be like if we were all friends like Jonathan? Great friendships are wonderful. As you know, great friendships are rare. We talk about some of the different miracles of Jesus, but we don't often mention the miracle that Jesus had 12 close friends in his mid-30s. That is unbelievable. They're hard. And some of us, let's just be honest, some of us are at a point where either consciously or subconsciously, in the last 30 minutes, we've thought, I don't want friends, I don't need friends. I'm fine. I'm fine as it is. And, and we do to protect ourselves because even the best friend ever is going to let us down. Over the last 25 minutes, perhaps the one thing that's just been coming to mind over and over is a broken friendship. One that somebody else broke or one that you broke or one that you both broke. And we just go, man, friendship is too hard. People hurt us. People let us down. People betray us. And on top of that, we're really busy. And friendships take time. A lot of time. Some of you guys just moved here. You're new to our church. And you're like, I got to start over again. And we can slip into this thing where we go, I'm just going to kind of like keep everybody in an arm's distance and just make it through. I'll have acquaintances, but spiritual friends, man, I don't know if I have that. And I'm just asking you, friends, to not give in and to don't say, and don't say that isn't for you because the reality is, is that God cares for us by giving us friends. That is God's way of caring for us. God cares for David in the desert by giving him a friend. That's it. It's God's provision for us to have friends. And if you're sitting in here today and you go, man, I don't have any friends, that's not true. It's not true. Because Jesus actually uses that word to describe how he wants you to feel about him. Jesus, to put it on a very Sunday school level term, Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus actually wants you to feel like he is your closest friend. Everything that you love about Jonathan, that's what you would love about Jesus. Jesus, to be honest, puts Jonathan to shame. The loyalty that you see in Jonathan, Jesus is more loyal. The faithfulness, the faith-filledness, the I will lay my life down for you, Jonathan 
didn't actually do that for David. But Jesus laid his life down for us. And there's something that one of Jesus' best friends, ironically or coincidentally, John wrote about Jesus. In John chapter 15, it says that Jesus, it says, no, there isn't a greater love than this, than when someone lays down life for his friends. That's how Jesus sees us, as his friends. And so if you don't know Jesus as your friend, we would love the chance to talk to you about what that means. And if you know Jesus, but you don't feel like you're his friend, I just want you to know that that's what he wants it to feel like. I'm going to put up two questions on the screen just for you to think about. Brandon's going to play for three minutes, and I'm just going to give you a few moments of silence before we go back to our day and do whatever we're going to do. In these three or four minutes, there's going to be two questions on the screen. Here they are. Who can I intentionally be a good friend to this week? Who can I plan to be a good friend to this week? And what friendship do I have that I should bring God into? And while that's happening, if anything else has kind of come up, whether it be about friendship or anything else, we have a prayer team that's in the back. We got Matt, Morgan, a couple others. Looks like Trevor also is going to be on the prayer team. Oh, first day with his new legs. We're going to, uh, we're just going to give you some time to, uh, to pray with somebody back there or to think about these, to pray on your own. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's the best friend ever. Take a few minutes to think about that. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.